Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. I am Dan Martin, special effects artist and podcaster, and I am joined as ever by my lovely co-host... Sam Ashurst, and I've directed the most original film of the year, Frankenstein's Creature. Uh, I also write about films for a bunch of different places. Nice. Is that an official pull quote? Uh, It is if you delve into my personal diaries yes <laughs> um and are you uh, allowed to put quotes from yourself on the poster well guess what <laughs> we're breaking all the rules i mean technically <laughs> i'm a journalist as well so you know i can give it five oh, stars five stars for total films five stars for sfx five, yeah, stars. <laughs> five stars from days they don't have a star system or do reviews but you know it'll be fine they and will now today uh, I am here to talk about The Burning, which was Dan's choice. It Dan, was. why did you choose The Burning? So, I chose The Burning because I like it as a film. I think it's a it's it's kind of prime arrow in that it's actually pretty good, but it's also not super well known. Like okay. it's, it's pretty well known. Yeah. But I think it's it's very well known amongst the arrow crowd. But it's like it's a, a non-arrow regular could stumble across it and enjoy it. I guess it's it's very it's it's unlike something like say Friday the Thirteenth in that Cropsy didn't become a horror icon, so it didn't break into the mainstream in that way. Um, there were no sequels, and and so that tends to be the kind of thing that that breaks something into the mainstream. Yeah, I'm constantly being reminded about how my experience of film and the experience of the people I surround myself, their experience of film is so different from the world. Mm-hmm. Like, if you think about the number of films the average person in, in England goes to see in the cinema a year, mm-hmm. which is like, what, like one and a half? What? Maybe. It's fucking ridiculous. It, it, let's say between one and four, but still that's insanely low, right? Right, yeah, but yeah. That's, but that's the statistic, is on average the your regular punter in the uk goes mm-hmm. to the cinema four times a year so Christ. which is fucking crazy yeah uh, so you think about you know that compared to us and what we just consume mm-hmm. is ridiculous so your average person on the street uh of our age will have heard of jason Voorhees, freddy krueger pinhead like there's a good chance they'll have at least heard of them even if they've not seen any of those movies mm-hmm. they probably haven't heard of cropsy no definitely not but the same kind of person who has seen like the second half of Friday the 13th Part 4 because it was on telly once and then that one with both the guy with the mask and the guy with the knife hands in it at a friend's house once. Mm-hmm. Like they, and they enjoyed them but they don't seek that stuff out. I think that they would find something to enjoy in The Burning. And listening to the uh, listening to the you know the audio... I mean you realise they're uh, not listening to this podcast. No, I know, I know. But, but it's... So for example, it's one of the first... Like, it's an upgrade film. Mm-hmm. So there are some films that Arrow bring out that I've not had before and that before my association with Arrow, I would still, you know, I'd, I'd just take a chance on. Uh, and then there are films that I already had and I would upgrade. And Burning was definitely an upgrade title for me. Well, interestingly um, related to that for me, so I saw The Burning on VHS in the early 90s. Uh, so it was very heavily cut none of the good stuff was in it basically for a film like the burning where there are so many fake outs throughout the film um 
And in in the Arrow version, which I saw in the big screen for the first time, yeah. it was the first time I'd seen it uncut, I suddenly realised, oh, actually, all those fake-outs do have payoffs. So when I first watched this film, I didn't actually like it because, obviously, all the good stuff was cut out. And not just that, it's kind of got a really, 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 really sleazy vibe. And it's... It's, I mean, it's not like something like Maniac, for example, which, you know, it basically... You need a shower. Yeah, you <laughs> need a shower. <laughs> you need to wipe the sweat off the screen after you've watched it because it's soaked into your living room. Um, <laughs> but, but there's just something quite sort of nasty at the heart of the burning. And I can definitely see why, um, why you'd like it because the special <gasps> effects are amazing. Um, not because it's sleazy. <laughs> I, this is why you like it, Dan. It's gross. And uh, I can see why you'd like no, it. No, <laughs> no. Um, I can see why you like it because of the special effects. And, like, you know, this was Tom Savini, you know, kind of at the top of his game, really, having fun and pushing it further and further as yeah. filming went on. And not always with great success. They're not all amazing. Are, you saying, are you saying you don't like the, uh, the head with the fake body bit? <laughs> I think uh, I think I'm, I'm protesting slightly about the fingers. Oh right, okay. But but it's unpainted urethane foam hand. Sure, but um, you know there is sort of an aspect of this where they were very much kind of making it up as they go along. Um, yeah, and I, I think that was definitely when I first saw it. That was kind of what drew me to it. Um, what the effects? Like, yeah, the effects. Yeah. Well, not just the effects, but Savini specifically. Right. Because when I was. When I was young, and I think for a lot of people around about my age in the in the effects world, um, Savini was probably the first name that we knew. And there are better special effects artists out there, but he was incredibly good at promoting himself. He mm-hmm. was the first non monster to appear on the front cover of Fangoria. Mm. And that's a hell of a hell of a thing to achieve. Ooh. And he and, and but the thing is, he sort of presented this kind of Blue Peter version of special effects that made you feel like it was achievable Mm -hmm. they were good but they weren't so good you didn't feel like it was it was mystical there's a couple of shots in here that are really 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 good there are some genuinely very very good effects in there yeah but but like so he released two books uh called um grand illusions one and two yes Uh, in fact i think you gave me a copy of one of them i uh, did a while back yeah yeah. very nice of you because it means that my my newer reprint that I already had and is therefore less precious can go to the workshop and I don't have to be quite so careful about it because it was a, you know, I've got a nice old one now. Yeah, but a rarer one. Yeah, exactly, say. a rarer one. Yeah. Um, but like looking at those and seeing photographs of Savini in his garage, mm-hmm. like with these block moulds that were just lumps of plaster had done in a, done a sculpt on the bottom of a baking tray and it felt very much like, okay, so for today's special effect, you're going to need six... Uh, cardboard tubes from the inside of toilet rolls some sticky back plastic and like it felt achievable and so it was really like I wanted to see all of that stuff I wanted to see everything he'd made and the burning obviously was was one of those and, and you're right it was him at the top of his game he was really allowed to sort of piss about yeah so so basically he was trying to kind of shock the the director by like taking it as far as he could the director loved it and the further he took it the more happy everyone was yeah. um unfortunately that did lead to it being banned and you know cut to shreds and all the rest of it and in fact he talks on the disc about how he went on a press tour which ties into your point about how he's very yeah, good yeah, at promoting yeah. himself um where like he took a train um to miami and like did all of these interviews and stuff and then realised that film. all of his stuff yeah. has been cut out. So. <laughs> no, 
did the film didn't even get released in no, Florida, or yeah. did it? Did it ultimately get released? Yeah, but um, but but the point is, is that even the places where it was released, yeah. it was so cut, you, you couldn't. Sort yeah, of, you couldn't see any of it. Um, and I just want to finish off my point about it being really sleazy. Um, it's not sleazy in uh, like, I mean, there is nudity and all the rest of it. Um, it's got this weird mixture of really nice natural performances um, from the cast, but with some of the most weird characters. And I think that's what makes it feel sleazy to me is the perspective. Like, you've got, what's his name, Alfred, who's like this... Oh, yeah. Oh, Alfred or Albert, I can't remember his name. What is Maybe it? It might be Albert. Anyway. Yeah. You know, whatever it is. A. Yeah, yeah, Mr. A. And he is, you know, he, he watches the girl in the yeah, shower. He's a, voyeur. he's a voyeur. And you think that that's going to get paid off somehow, but it really doesn't. Yeah, and he's kind of... All right. And, like, and, and he's kind of the hero. And basically all of the male characters in this film pressure girls into sex. All of or them. Or try to. Try to, yeah. Well, okay, so... No, 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 they do. They do pressure girls into sex. They might not have sex not with them. Whether or not they're successful they are all pressuring Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. And, and even, like, you know, just everyone in this film is, you know... So there's... Dodgy. Yeah, there's two things. One, I feel like teenage boys are garbage. right. And so that's not that unrealistic. So it's, so it's representative. Yeah, okay. and, and that's kind of interesting. But then the other thing is, it's impossible to see this film now uh, without thinking about the context of it being the first Harvey Weinstein production. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Production. yeah. And even though a lot of the interviews on the disc were done, like, you know, a few years before all the stuff that's in the media at the moment, right? you can hear those people kind of distancing them. Not all of them, but some of them. You can hear them talking like this. Uh, the uh, the editor, whose name I've forgotten, who went on to be a director himself, obviously didn't get on with Harvey particularly well. Uh, well, Weinstein's... he wouldn't. He's an editor. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> well, but the but so Harvey wanted him on his camp because they locked Tony Malin, the director, out of the edit suite. They did, yeah. Um, and the director was like, "No, my loyalty." The, the editor was like, "No, my uh, loyalty is to Tony." Yeah, whatever. But he, when he talks about it, he's like, "I think uh, I'm paraphrasing," but he says something along the lines of. Yeah, the the Harvey you read about now in the press, it was definitely him. You could tell, you know, he was definitely like that. And then he kind of, like, glosses over it. And, like, whenever anyone talks positively about Weinstein, they say, oh, he's very driven, he's very passionate about film, he knew what he wanted. Never, No one says he's a decent guy. And I just kind of wish that uh, we'd been able to get some female voices from the crew and the cast remembering I mean, the production. Because you're right, it is it is quite sleazy. But then I don't think it's as sleazy... I mean, it's obviously it's violent as well, which takes it into a different realm. But I don't think it's as sleazy as something like Porky's. And there is that kind of, like, the horny kid motif in all of those ab- American... Absolutely, yeah, yeah, no, 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 completely. But there's no one in there to like... Even, like, the camp counsellor who, like, is ostensibly kind of the hero, it's, it's the voyeur kid and it's him. Yeah. But he's, like, and he's, he's the one up. who's semi-responsible for Cropsy anyway. Like, all the others it's, are exactly. technically innocent. But, but, but also, he's the one, he's, like, he's on that voyeur kid side. He's like, oh, you know, it's fine, it's harmless. And it's like, mm, that's, that's weird. And, um, and yeah, I mean, there are there are female voices on the disc. Um, there's a really good commentary um, by a couple of oh, cast yes. members. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And, you know, they kind of basically... They're kind of supporting cast. It's it's the girl who plays Tiger. Yes, and, yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, they talk very fondly about the production. Um, yeah, 
I, th- I think what you say is true. It's very kind of hard to watch this with any kind of perspective, knowing the Weinstein stuff um, that's come out, um, especially like that weird in Congress opening scene where, um, well, not opening opening, but that early scene. Oh, the, scene. the, the sex worker scene. Yeah. yeah. Like, what is that? Like, I mean, I guess... Like, well, they, they cover com- it on the commentary with uh, Malum. Yeah, no, no, I understand, but they don't... It's not post what we know, so... Um, no. All, all I'm saying is that um, I can... It makes sense uh, from a screenwriting perspective, get an early murder in, get yeah, an early yeah. scare, especially as it's quite a long time until the first proper murder because you've got all of those fake-outs and stuff. Yeah. It kind of makes sense in a way. But what is the motivation? Like, what... You know, why is he doing that? Yeah, I think the... Um, so it's Alan and Tony yeah. talking on the disc, and I think it's from that commentary so there are three commentaries on the disc yeah. there's the cast commentary that you mentioned there's alan and tony malam and then there's uh, there's a sort of fan commentary as well which yeah. i think is the newest one and i really like which was I, really good actually yeah it was good um my favorite probably is the one with tony and alan just because you know um, i'm i'm split between that and the fan one i think that the, they they cover a lot of stuff in real depth and it's nice to get the insight from malam's perspective definitely and actually that triggered that 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 um that kind of flags something up for me that I want to talk about in a second. But uh, but the fan one was nice because they've obviously accumulated all of the anecdotes that they've heard about it over the years. And so mm. you get this kind of like cordial of of, uh, of information mm-hmm. where they've distilled everyone's anecdotes. They've heard Tom talk about it. They've heard Tony mm-hmm. talk about it. They've, you know, all this stuff. But the, um, the thing that I thought was interesting in Tony's one and then in the interview with the editor as well, is that this is very obviously a commercial enterprise and not something that was made out of love. Oh, absolutely, 100%. Which is, which is interesting because normally that undermines something and it feels cynical and problematic. And actually it doesn't, I don't think that really negatively impacts it. And I wonder if that was because Savini's love of the genre was enough to force through, especially Savini talking I, I, about... I think there's a lot of factors at play here. I think that um, they lucked out and got a very, very good cast. Yeah. Um, uh, people that went on to have careers both in film and theatre. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I enjoy about the film, apart from, you know, all of those sequences where boys take women off and pressure them into sex, stuff around that where it's people hanging out and just having fun, you do get a very kind of summer camp vibe. Yeah. And, and they're all very natural and believable and likeable, which is And it is, is those rare. moments when they feel quite likeable. They feel real and, and relatable. Which is rare for this kind of um, slasher film, like the Friday the 13th. Like, there's not really a there's single likeable person in the entire <laughs> franchise. Well, that's it. Like, when you say there's, you don't like anyone, that's not that uncommon in slashers. Yeah. Like, normally they're just fodder. Uh, like, nowhere is it worse... Worse isn't the right word, but nowhere is it more apparent than Friday the Thirteenth Part Four, where they literally just write in your Scatman Carruthers after Scatman Carruthers, someone to turn up and then get murdered. Someone else turns up and gets murdered. The hitchhiker having a neck snapped out in the woods. You know, they just write in all these people, and I kind of feel like that might have been Savini being let too much off the leash, mm-hmm. where they're like, "Oh well, we could have another murder here." We haven't got anyone to kill, and Savini's like, "Well, what if we had a hitchhiker, and then we could pull our head off?" Well, my my point is is that actually in the Friday the 13th and, and the actually Nightmare on Elm Street, you do have more likeable characters yeah. for sure, um, especially in part three. But um, in terms of Friday the 13th, I'm not a massive fan of that franchise in general, but 
the reason I watch it and the person I like in it is Jason, right? I, I do, you know, I, I, I like Jason quite a lot. I like his iconography and, you know, I like the kills and all the rest of it. But with Cropsy, because of that fucking scene at the start, like, I don't like him. So I don't like anyone in this film. Well, I don't, the, he's, know. Not, he's not at all justified. Like, the past part one of Friday the 13th, you know, when it is actually, and not counting part three, uh, five, mm-hmm. not counting part five, Jason's, like impetus is at its vaguest it's a get off my land impetus and at its most specific it's i was allowed to die slash be forced to live at the bottom of a lake until i was brought back by lightning and <laughs> a, a recast cory feldman because the teenage libido prevented me from being looked after mm. so at my moment of greatest need mm. these two horny kids who couldn't mm-hmm. keep their genitals in their respective pants were doing it on the like side and I drowned and so now I'm going to go out and kill anyone who has sex in the woods um, and it is like the, that is the the linchpin of the American puritanical horror mm-hmm. where and there are loads of theories about why this became a, a trend but the one that kind of makes the most sense to me is that it was a sort of a compromise mm-hmm. like you're you're saying to the puritans who'd be like oh this, all this ex- horrible horror is is grotesque and wrong and it's ruining our children and America's falling apart, whatever. But then if you can say, ah, oh, but look, see, they're being punished for premarital sex. They're being like and, and it starts the, the franchise starts to take the piss out of itself. It's interesting. So the, the origin of, of this stuff is John Carpenter's Halloween and, and obviously John Carpenter has talked about how the puritanical thing wasn't intentional at all. It was purely because that was when they were most vulnerable and yeah. kind of most distracted. And and I think it probably evolved into into what you're talking about. But, yeah, I just... I, I, and, oh, and Tom Savini, um, in the extras on this disc, yeah. talks about Friday the 13th. And he yeah. basically, he looks directly at the camera yeah. and says, if, if you like anything past part one, you're a moron because... Jason Voorhees is dead, you know, he, he shouldn't, yeah. you know. Tom, it, obviously, has lots to tell us about people being idiots for wanting to watch reanimated corpses. It's not like he made his name <laughs> painting fat men blue in a shopping centre. And, and, <laughs> and the other kind of hilarious thing, we're talking about an extra on the disc, which is called Blood and Fire Memories, um, which is uh, like an 80-minute interview with Tom Savini. And it's interesting that it's called Blood and Fire Blood because and fire. he talks about <laughs> like a, a very very dangerous stunt. Yeah, like so Savini. When I I met Savini when I was about sixteen, mm-hmm. and he was really nice, really supportive, uh, and he was uh, doing a talk at the Watford Film Fair, mm-hmm. and sixteen seventeen. And he was, um, and he was very much in my mind. He was a stunt man and a special effects artist. Like mm-hmm. special effects artist first, but he was a stunt man. And I think, and I've seen, you know, I've seen loads of stuff. Screen greats, Screen greats, the Fangoria documentary about him, the eighty-five minute, I think, Fangoria documentary, which is on the second disc of the German DVD of the Burning, which mm-hmm. was like the copy I upgraded, but haven't been able to get rid of mm. because sadly Cause Screen Greats didn't turn up on yeah, the yeah. extras. Maybe I'll give someone my DVD from the Arrow box set and pop Screen Greats in. On yeah, that. I do yeah, also yeah. have Screen Greats on Laserdisc. <laughs> but anyway, it's a great, it's, yeah. it's a great documentary. But like, so I've, I've I've seen so many interviews with him, and he's like, um, uh, he's like William Freakin. He tells the same anecdotes all the time. Like I think there's two separate extras where he says, "Oh, I'm like a." Ha ha ha! I'm like a serial killer. No, you know what? It's it's um, it's the beginning of Scream Greats and one of the extra which I checked 
the beginning of. And then it's... He, he always talks about how he kills teenagers, basically. Yeah, That's he goes, the thing, he goes ha, 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 I'm like an assassin. I go from That's town it. to town with my box of tricks and I get paid to kill teenagers. That's it. <laughs> and it's, yeah... It's the, but he has the same like roster of anecdotes that he does whenever he's doing a talk. Um, but every now and then you get these lovely little moments when he, he does something off the cuff, something that isn't one of his planned bits of speech. And I think one of them is looking into the camera and slagging off all anyone who watched anything part, past, past part one of Friday the 13th, including part four, which he also did the effects for. But but exactly, but um, which he kind of he, he kind of he's remembers a, yeah, and then mid rail <laughs> and then kind of brings it back a little bit. But no, the the thing that I wanted to point out and talk about is the moment where um, the actual the burning of the burning, yeah. um, where he talks about like doing that scene and you know how he came into the room with the flaming torch. Oh, I thought you meant the bit where he set his own legs on fire. <laughs> no, what? No, there's that where he demonstrated that he could do it by you know. He just assumed he could do it, did it, and and then he basically he crossed his legs so that the people could come in with a fire extinguisher. Yeah, to stuff, signal them. To signal them. But no, so you know he must have been pretty pleased with himself. You know, I I, I thought I could do this. I did it. Like he he literally had never done it before. He'd seen someone else do it. Knew that he he you know knew the technique, and so set his own legs on fire. And luckily it, it worked out. I have a lot of respect for that. A lot of very important. Uh, like advances in the pioneering. world pioneering yeah absolutely have been done by people taking risks with themselves like a lot of uh... completely and and that's not the bit that I want to talk about because because <laughs> I kind of think you know okay yeah great well done what's slightly less well done is the fact that he when he was bringing the torch into the cabin um, where you know the the very young stunt guy was there ready to be set on fire he's like 17 oh my god you, do you, you know what I'm talking uh, about I mean now. I know what you're talking about but I'm, I'm sorry I, that was an involuntary utterance do keep saying this I think we should talk about this but there's a, a sentence at the end of him talking about this that we need to focus on at the end of this bit of okay. chat so yeah he basically comes into the cabin with the flaming torch and um, because of the, uh, the the liquid that's been spread around you know the flammable liquid you you know, to, to, to give it a real kick, he falls over and drops the torch and sets the place on fire, you know, at an unpredictable moment. And that, my friends, is insane. So there's two things about that. The That's first so is dangerous the, the, and, the, and ridiculous. The, the, the material they use to carry the fire, and he acknowledges this in it, is a glue. Yes. Think about, like, the traditional thing about glue... You don't, you, don't slip that, you don't slip in it. It's quite sticky, isn't it's quite it? quite sticky. So I think Tom Sabini stacked it and is to this day <laughs> telling people that he slipped in some glue to save face. But the thing... That <laughs> But the, the, the thing that I wanted to... The I've, views of this podcast uh, are not of Arrow, they're of Dan, only Dan, not me. Whatever Sam says, that's me as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, but the other bit in the, in the podcast, which uh, in the, the podcast, in the interview, that left me just like slack-jawed in amazement, is he's like, blah, 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 and then I fell over, and the whole thing went up early, and the guy like just threw his son, because it was the stunt guy's yeah, yeah. father, was the stunt coordinator on the film, threw his son against the burning wall to set him on fire and just shouted at him to barrel out through the door and then Savini pauses for a second and he goes and then he went to LA and shot well uh, Airwolf where he died in a helicopter crash and that's it that's the end of that bit and Savini moves on and I kind of feel like he's going see I didn't kill him oh god yeah I mean the, the, whoever produced this extra 
does do a good job at that moment because they bring up the years um, yeah. and and they play sad music and it's a moment that I wasn't expecting to feel moved by. Um, it's very, very sad that, that that young man passed away. Yeah, like 22 um, or something like that. But, you, you know, these were, you know, these were, I mean, specifically the burning sounded like quite a dangerous set. I mean, there's, there's another bit where they talk about how they were going to go and shoot in some caves and they went down and did a recce like the day before came back went down to shoot and the bit where they were the day before yeah. had been completely obliterated and covered by falling rocks um and they couldn't get down to it and they stood in the bit that they could have access to and kind of said hmm, actually do you know what maybe we don't shoot here because like, more rocks could yeah fall. i like that tony malem's version of that is and then i think there was something about us upsetting some bats so we didn't go back <laughs> we didn't go back yeah yeah exactly and it's like oh right okay tony that's yeah good yeah. tony also doesn't talk about being shut out of the editing suite so no i mean that's another thing and and actually savini was asked to direct the closing scene according the, to Savini according to Savini <laughs> um, well no I, I actually kind of believe that because I think he kind of it's a kind of weird moment in the interview where he says no come on guys I want to leave with the same friends I came with so you're thinking he's saying no and then he said and so yeah you know um, then I did it I, I, no, he, he, so what he says is that he went to Tony yeah. and said to Tony you tell me what you want yeah, yeah. and I'll do that for them so that that's they're, it they're that's happy it. and you're happy and everyone's happy and i haven't made any enemies yeah that's it that's on. it and 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 that's something i would like to sort of discuss it's another kind of problem that i have with the film i actually watched this i re-watched it um yesterday with a mutual friend jen moss oh, nice. um who is uh a music supervisor um, for Warner Music. For yeah. Warner Music, um, she actually did the music supervision for I Tonya, which, if you've seen that film, has incredible music. And um, she's got a, a, a there's a Mondo poster, really cool I Tonya Mondo poster, which has her name on it. Nice. Um, so yeah, a very cool person within the industry and a cool person in general. And we watched it together, and um, you know, we both sort of reflected on the. Weinstein situation um, and we ended up talking over the end of this film about how difficult it is to separate art and the artist and the reason we ended up speaking over the end is because I'm I'm sure you'll agree, hopefully you'll agree once they get to that mine it does fall apart quite a lot it's that that sequence is very weirdly edited Um, It it feels like they I mean, obviously it is a compromise because they wanted to shoot in the caves and I would have loved to have seen a version where they did shoot in the caves because I feel like that is the purest version of this thing that was put together to make money. But at least, you know, it would have made sense. It's like, where are they now? What are they doing? Why is it Yeah, they never like set this? up the existence of the mines. Exactly. They also never set up the existence of the caves, although maybe they snipped that out because then they weren't in, they yeah. weren't in caves. Yeah, yeah. They also never set up the presence of a flamethrower. No, <laughs> <laughs> it just fucking turns up out of nowhere. <laughs> I mean, that is that. That's a tick in the pro. Um, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I always yeah, like yeah. a flamethrower, but yeah. And oh then, god, I've got so many recommendations for this. It's going to be very hard to do too. And then, um, oh, well, that's interesting. Anyway, we won't talk about that. Um, yes, and then the very ending is a bit shit, isn't it? Uh, when it kind of just sort of peters out a little bit, I like the. I do. No, I'm talking. I'm talking about the like the campfire. Oh, the the, the return to the campfire. Yeah, bit. yeah. I don't know. It's all right. Is it? <laughs> yeah. I, so so uh, I ha- was sort of peripherally aware as an English person of uh, the Cropsey legend. Yeah. 
but only insofar as I knew there was a documentary with Cropsey in the name yep. about some kind of urban legend, which yep. I've not seen and meant to try and fit in before we recorded this, but didn't get around to. And that it was, it, it had some kind of, yeah, like urban legend status. What I didn't realise was that this was, I hadn't worked out, hadn't known where the burning fit into that. So they went, oh, well, that's a name that people know from urban, urban legends in America. Mm. We'll change everything, mm. but keep the name. Mm. And then it'll be, uh, that'll be how we sell it. And it's interesting. I wonder if it would have had more strike with the American consciousness. I mean, not in England. I never heard of Cropsy before I saw the burning. But mm. I wonder if it would have been more like, uh, had, would have had greater longevity, maybe yeah, seen some maybe. sequels if they'd kept Cropsy in the title of the film. I mean, there, there are things that I really like about this film. The effects are great. The performances are fantastic. Music's like, pretty fun. Music. Oh, we haven't talked about the music. About I, the music. I, I, I love the music. Yeah, it's, it's very, good. very. Um, Italian giallo. Um, it is. Yeah. Yeah, in in fact, in the Hysteria Continues uh, track, audio track, um, they comment on the fedora, the black gloves, and that being slightly giallo as well. Oh, very much and so. I wonder if there's... Scene, the the and, hotel scene. Yeah, exactly. And I wonder if there's... Uh, I, I wonder if there's a subconscious draw for me to that, given my love of giallo. Yeah, as very... Well, probably. And, and, and But, yeah, soundtrack's amazing. Performances are amazing. I love some of the shots in this. Yeah, Dorothy's um, pretty good. Yeah, the 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 moment um, where you know the iconic moment that's that was on the old VHS cover where he raises the shears. Oh yeah. the sky and actually Tony. That's Malem, yeah, doing it himself because you know it had to be right, and it was worth the effort because I absolutely love that shot. There, there is you know great stuff in here, but um, yeah, I just I just found it a little bit of an awkward rewatch. But then for me, this isn't like. Um, this isn't something I'm incredibly nostalgic for. Like I say, when I watched it on VHS, it was the cut version, and so I didn't really like it. Um, I preferred it when we saw it at, at, at the um, Prince Charles Cinema as part of the summer uh, slasher all-nighter. Yeah. That was great. Um, but then revisiting it now, you know, with everything we know, it was just a kind of a very different experience. So, um, But the disc is fantastic. The interview with Savini is very... Uh, illuminating and, and like you yeah. say you know if if you want sort of uh industry information and savini is the man to go to commentaries are great yeah um so if you are a fan of this film i'm not judging you that's fine um, <laughs> there is judgment in the phrase i'm not judging you. <laughs> you're sick look no if, <laughs> look look if you like it <laughs> you like it that's fine i'm not gonna yeah that's but no, no, seriously, seriously, <laughs> if you like it, then, um, you know, I get it. It's, it's the sort of thing that um, people grew up on and loved. Um, and as ever with Arrow, they've put together an incredible um, yeah, and disc. It, and like, it, what, what do you like on the disc? I mean, well, we've, we've kind of covered a lot of it. I think the Lou David interview is really nice. Yeah. Uh, him talking about having to leave his son on, his, on the first, like his son had just been born. And then the next day he had to go away and play Cropsy for, oh you know, goodness. presumably yeah. like four weeks or something. Yeah. Um, that's quite heartbreaking. I had yeah. to, the, the day after my wedding, I had to go and start on Wolfman. <laughs> so, so you, I you left, identify. Yeah, I, I, I identify with that, uh, that regret. <laughs> he, says, uh, he says, if I had to do it all again, yeah, I'd do it all again. I mean, I wouldn't leave my son again. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good um, that's really good he, he's very up for a sequel you get him yeah well um, yeah, yeah. Burning 2 I think the rights are probably quite cheap now I mean I was about to say that a big that, auction yeah. going on in Hollywood at the moment yeah 
Yeah. Um, shall we go on to recommendations? Yeah, let's do recommendations. Film. Dan, what have you got? Am I going first? Uh, my first one is uh, another film uh, by Tony Molan from 1992. Uh, it's a sci-fi film called Split Second, starring Rutger Hauer and Kim Cattrall. Tony Malem, I think I saw this before, I might have seen this before I saw The Burning, actually. Malem doesn't mention it by name on the audio commentary, but he refers to it quite a lot because he talks about working with Cattrall. It's, uh, he also talks about how he thinks Alien is the best horror movie of all time, a bunch of times, uh, and also that he never did another horror movie, which is interesting because uh, Split Second is very, very Alien-inspired. Yeah. I really, I, I have... A, a personal connection to it not in any direct involvement way but just because it like I the, the age at which I saw it and uh, I always Dan really enjoyed it I love Split Second I love Split Second it's amazing but also when I was uh, 16 and at uh, Pinewood Film Studios uh, for the first time working in, in like a production office as, a, as an assistant I took a day off and just sort of went around all the effects houses and, and sort of bothered them and saw who was there and I went to Image Animation and, and Creature Effects and Creature Effects did the effects for Split second, and they still had some of the stuff from it there, and it, that was that was quite exciting. That was um, that was a big experience for me. But yeah, no, I really I really enjoy it. I think it's it's worth watching. It's still it's a bit silly, uh, <laughs> but it's very fun. And uh, and Rutger Hauer's uh, Rutger Hauer's on form. I yeah, think. he's always he's good. so good. Yeah. But he's 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 sassy Hauer. Nice. It was one of my favourite modes for Hauer. Yeah, he's a very witty guy, isn't he? Very smart, witty guy. All right, well, my first recommendation based on The Burning is a film from the same year, from 1981, called Just Before Dawn. Have you seen Just Before Dawn? I don't think I have. The name seems very familiar, but I, can't, couldn't, I wouldn't be able to tell you what it was about. It's, um, it's one of my favourite slashes. It's, a, you know, it's a, about basically five uh, teens. Uh, I assume they're teens. They could very well be in their 30s. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they... They're both, Sam, they're both. (laughs) But, um, yeah, five kids go uh, camping in the mountains. Um, They they get stopped on the way uh, by George Kennedy, who warns them not to go up there. Um, And George has a very sort of close relationship with his horse, um, (laughs) which is kind of brilliant. And, uh, yeah, so these five kids go up into the mountains and uh, are faced with a bunch of creepy stuff and uh, something that I'm not going to spoil because it's actually kind of quite a well-delivered twist in the film. So, yeah, it's it's very, very similar in tone um, to The Burning, except in this one, um, everything's consensual. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it is uh, uh, really nicely shot, sort of kind of weird in places, creepy in places. There's one particular sequence which almost has a kind of Blair Witch vibe, um, very ahead of its time, part of this very early wave of, um, you know, in the woods slasher yeah. films. And if you haven't seen Just Before Dawn, um, 88 films have done a very nice Blu-ray of it, uh, which has an extended version and a commentary and all sorts. Nice. Um, it's a very, very kind of underrated slasher. And if you like The Burning, my goodness, you will like Just Before Dawn. Dan. 1981? Romano Scavellini, uh, Nightmares in a Damaged Brain, released in the UK under the name Nightmare. Now, spoiler alert, Dan and I, after our last time we recommended the same film, this time decided to reveal our films before recording. Yeah. Um, and I was going to do this one too. It is a perfect recommendation. It is great. Yeah. Um, I would say it's arguably slightly better 
than The Burning. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. It's sort of accidentally quite Hitchcockian in its format. That's and it's amazing. It's, it's a really good... It's a giallo slasher, which is a lovely hybrid. But the reason that I immediately went to it is that there's an ongoing uh, feud between the director and Tom Savini because Tom Savini... They were shooting in the States. Tom Savini visited set because he knew the young guy who was doing the effects for it. Ended up helping... Like, just helping out on set one day. Uh, and a stills photographer got a shot of Savini, like, showing the kid how to hold the axe. Anyway, that then took pride of, like, front and centre, pride of place on the marketing, uh, like, the lobby cards. And they put Savini's name on the film as having done the special effects uh, with a box around his name. <laughs> uh, and he took them to court to get him to take it off, and it never really worked. And so, like... It's like still to this day there are versions out there with Savini's name in the credits, oh, wow. <laughs> and um, and he it's, yeah if you ever interview Tom Savini uh, and you want something to close out the interview ask him about Nightmares in a Damaged Frame. I have to say though if I was Savini I'd be proud because the the, the of the work you didn't do <laughs> yeah the kills in this film are so good I I really oh, they're love great yeah the Slater's well. hammer yeah. is one of the most horrific. Uh, yeah. tools to get misused in a in a slasher. Absolutely. Oh, it's fantastic stuff. And again, there's I think is there a is there a decent blue of that in the in the UK? Is that eighty eight? I think eighty eight did that as well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've still got a, a slightly weird early edit on VHS that someone gave me years back, which is grimy as hell but has yeah. stuff in it I've never seen. And, and again it, it's one it, of those it's one of those boot fair and it is, you know, again, Nightmares and Damaged Brain it's is... It's very seedy. Very seedy, yeah. very sleazy. And, you know, it, it's similar to the burning in that, you know, he escapes from a, a medical facility, let's say, yeah. and goes straight to New CD New York and um, yeah, attacks... Does, he does attack. Oh, it's a while since I've seen it, but um, it's more. It's, I just I really it's more Halloween than Bay of Blood because it's babysitters and no, no. But, but there is. Oh, you mean at the beginning? Sequence, there's a sequence where he's like walking the streets of New York, and then he goes into that peep show booth, and it's kind yes, of got a similar yeah, vibe. Yeah, yeah. Um, Attacking the sex workers. I mean, I guess that's it exactly. I, I guess it's they are. I mean, there's a there's a horrific reason in real life why there's so much like danger in that line of work because oh God, it's yeah. it's unpoliced it's on the edges of society yeah and so it kind of it's an easy if slightly lazy target in the slasher film mm-hmm. because you know of cultural uh linchpins like jack the ripper and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. um it just kind of makes sense there's you know it's out of the view of society um these abhorrent monsters can get away with with these murders unseen and there's um on the commentary to the burning they posit that this was a, a, a moment where he snapped and it was that he and that like allowed him to go back to oh the camp uh, right yeah yeah and yeah. commit all these murders because yeah, I mean, it, it was when he realized he was like m- life no longer meant anything to him. i mean that i is feel nonsense. like that is retconning a bit that is major <laughs> retconning um and to go back to nightmares um one of the things that's kind of quite entertaining if you re-watch the film watch it for the first time um keep an eye out for the sequence where our slasher is walking through the streets of new york and he's being filmed from a car uh they clearly did not get permission did not get permits because 
pretty much everyone they pass is looking at the camera as in, what the fuck, why are you yeah. filming me? And one guy even ducks down to like look into the lens. <laughs> yeah. I, the filmmaking. And, and Nightmares is, is yeah, is a great, great recommendation. Um, okay, so my final recommendation based on this film, which was a last minute swap out, is The Prowler, Fantastic. also from 1981, directed by Joseph Zito. It's uh, another slasher, uh, this time themed in like world war two he's like a soldier he's a basically vet, yeah. yeah and the reason i'm recommending it is not just because it was from the same year as the burning but because tom savini did the kills and it's one of my favorites for that um, yeah it's very good it's got some really imaginative stuff in it exactly and I, yeah and savini more than any other film in that period of his life savini knows what's going to work and what doesn't yeah so it's maybe not quite as ambitious as some of his other things but i think the effects land a little they more totally regularly do. yeah yeah and it's just sort of a more likable vibe it's a yeah. more interesting unusual premise and yeah um yeah the prowler yeah should we move on to recommending films to watch over the past couple yeah, of weeks let's do that what have you got dan uh, so this um, is a surprise because we haven't discussed this. Yeah. So my first recommendation uh, is it's it's two that it's all Asian films at the moment. I think I might have mentioned it on the commentary in passing to the um, uh, to the villainess when mm-hmm. we did that. But uh, it bears mentioning here um, the Berlin File. Uh, oh, you I did revisited. mention that. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's from 2013. It's a sort of half and half uh, Bond and Born. In uh, in Korea, with a with a, a sort of a fascia of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy over the top of it, it's um it's very complicated, lots of intrigue and double crossing, triple crossing, um, but it's also got some really fantastic action in it, like really tight, good action, good Korean action in it. So yeah, that's um it's sort of floating about. You can pick it up on disc. Uh, it's well worth well worth tracking tracking down. Cool, great. My first recommendation based on the past couple of weeks is a, a Czechoslovakian comedy. My first one since I uh, heard with Crystal Plumage, where I recommended a couple. Yeah. Um, it's called Who Wants to Kill Jesse? And it is from, when's it from? 1966, I think. Don't quote me on that. I've, that's based on my memory, not on any facts. Uh, I think it's from 66. But it is a, uh, a very weird comic book movie in which um, uh, a male scientist... Uh, is is trying to invent invent some anti gravity gloves right. based on a comic that his coworkers have slipped into his actual research. <laughs> Meanwhile, his wife um, is in and in the comic, um, basically this uh, attractive woman uh, is a genius scientist and she is able to invent the anti gravity gloves that he is in, inspired to try and create himself. Her antagonists in the comic are. A guy who's basically Superman, but bad, and uh, a, a weird cowboy. And so uh, the male scientist is trying to do that, and his wife uh, is also a scientist, and, she, and she's invented a machine that's able to pluck dreams from the dreamer's mind and make them real. Wow, what um, year is this? Uh, 66, I think, but I'm not 100% sure. It's in the 60s. It's black and white. And um, yeah, so our, our protagonist dreams about this comic because he's obsessed with it um his wife sees on a little screen him dreaming about this attractive woman gets angry and and the point of the dream machine is to get rid of unwanted dreams and unwanted thoughts so um it's you know it's a a form of therapy so because she's jealous she decides to take out 
this woman from from his dreams um and unfortunately also pulls out the superman the evil superman and and the cowboy and these people are released into the real world they become quite hard to control um and it goes from there and it kind of goes into some quite dark places it's a comedy um but there is a uh, there's a furnace scene which I think is is definitely making political commentary. Another thing that's kind of nice about it is that whenever any of the people from the comics talk, it's a speech bubble that the other characters read. It's not actual speech. Speak. Oh um, wow! And and actually, there's a lovely moment where um, someone can't quite see the speech bubble, so it's turned in their direction so they can read it. Like it's full of lovely stuff like That's that. That's really nice. So yes, I, I won't go into any more detail because I feel like I've already said too much. Um, who wants to kill Jesse? Uh, I recommend it. It's nice. Is that if, is it um, like is it out in the UK? Is it? Uh, it is um, I watched it at a friend's house so I don't actually know how they got it but yeah it's around it's around, it's around. yeah yeah um, awesome my uh, next one is another Korean one I've been doing a bit of a revisit to some stuff uh, it's one I've seen before as well uh, from 2005 uh, it's called Blood Rain it starts off as a sort of detective intrigue movie it's set during the period of japanese occupation of korea um specifically on the island where all the paper was produced when paper was a new thing and a shipment with the japanese government's yearly supply of paper gets set on fire in an arson attack and um some japanese soldiers turn up sort of investigate and find out what's gone on and it turns out well, some things. Some things turn out. Uh, there is some supernatural stuff in there as well, which comes to the light. Comes to light as the film progresses. Uh, it has uh, some amazing special effects in it later on. But it's um, it's just a really good detective, slightly supernatural detective mystery, uh, which I showed to someone uh, having seen it before. And um, yeah, it's one of the best things I've seen in the last couple of weeks. Awesome. Uh, I haven't seen that. I will check it out. Now, um, the my final recommendation based on the past couple of weeks, um, I might as well quit the podcast now um, <laughs> because I have seen the greatest film ever made in oh. the past fortnight. It's a film called Death Warrior uh, from 1984. Have you seen Death Warrior, Dan? Um, I, f- I feel like... I'm thinking of just Warrior. Who's it star? It's like it's either Turkish or... Um, it is Turkish, Turkish. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I have seen it. Okay, so basically this film, uh, like, I, it, it is the film that you, you hope for as a film fan who likes weird psychotronic films. It's sort of the end point of my journey, I think. <laughs> um, it, it is incredible. It, I mean, it's also terrible because... It's basically two films, two unrelated films that have been edited together to get to almost a full-length runtime um, for a feature, but not quite. <laughs> it's just over an hour long. And it's about um, uh, a Turkish cop um, who in the film is referred to only as Turkish cop, as in, where is Turkish cop? Um, <laughs> he should be here. And, and the reason Turkish cop should be here is that um, there's a whole bunch of absolute nonsense involving ninjas and zombies and uh, a guy that looks like he's made of Miracle Whip, um, someone who can turn themselves into what appears to be a salamander that's thrown at the face of Turkish cop and he has to fight it off. <laughs> um, it basically, 
If you've ever uh, seen or enjoyed Garth Marenghi's Dark Place... Yeah, that's a very good comparison. It is that, basically. I mean, there's even a moment where two cars crash and they cut to two toy cars being thrown together against like a cardboard backdrop. I love that stuff. Yeah, um, it's so much fun and I won't really quit the podcast, but if you can find it, it's on YouTube. Um, I recommend <laughs> Death Warrior from 1984. Nice. All right, that's it, isn't that's it? That's it, we're done. Shall we go Brown. to extra features? Extra features? Extra features. Extra features. Extra features. I think we should just keep on saying extra features because... I've had the runtime because we haven't got anything. No, no, no I haven't done. got anything something time. nice for next week. Yes, Dan, Dan is doing his first ever extra feature. I'm very excited yeah, about this. Yeah, it's good. But uh, we haven't done our social media for a while, so oh, yeah. why not do that, Dan? The what Twitters. Is, what is yours? Um, at 13fingerfx, uh, which is the numbers, 1, 3, and then F-I-N-G-E-R... FX. Uh, I am. That's <laughs> yeah, a nice bit of uh, bit of tension there, Dan. Well done. I am at Sam Ashurst, which is S A M A S H U R S T uh, on Twitter, and follow me for uh, occasional Twitter reviews of films that aren't out yet, um, and retweets of quite a lot of stuff because it's much easier to retweet stuff than it is to tweet, and I'm very busy at the moment. <laughs> Um, also follow me on Instagram at Sam Ashurst 23 um, because I'm occasionally putting up bits and pieces uh, around my film Frankenstein's Creature and by the time you listen to this my the poster for my film might be out there we'll see it's exciting yes but that's it that's it thank you so much for listening thank you and we promise we'll be more professional next time absolutely and that next time will be Frankenhooker bye 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 <laughs>